0: You are listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. This is not really going to be a very popular uh, sermon. So if you're new, um, I apologize, but the title of the sermon, as you could uh, C is going to be an, an, a, a strange one. Um, circumcision circumcision, and church commitment. So this is probably not going to be a favorite. Um, I, I really feel compelled. Uh, first, one, first service was very, very hard and difficult to teach. I went upstairs just to, like, you know, I'm just going to uh, say a couple things and then just teach something different, but um, I'm, I'm really compelled to, to say what I'm going to say today. So if you're new, let me just ask you one thing. If you're new, would you please... Uh, um, listen, but don't take this too personally, okay? If you've been here a while, take this very personally, all right? <laughs> Deal? So if you're new, if you're like, hey, I've only been coming for a little bit, I'm just kind of checking this out, don't take this too personally. Let, allow this to show you maybe uh, what the church is and supposed to be. And if you've been here a while, let's all take this. I've been taking this very personally. I, th- I think this is just something that God wants to, to uh, this is a, more of a topical teaching, but something God wants to do. Um, so let me let me read Genesis chapter seventeen, and um, and then and then pray. When Abram was uh, ninety nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly." Then Abraham fell on his face. God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. Kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who, has, who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your, uh, your generations, whether born in your house or brought, bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. And you shall, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." Let's pray and beg God for help. Lord, I pray that you, in a very genuine and real way, would speak to your church today. For those that are not a part of your church, that have not um, believed upon you, or have not tr- trusted in you, I pray you would, uh, that you would give them ears to hear what's being said today, um, insight into your church, insight into you, the body of Christ, maybe even insight into the historic Jewish people. And especially insight into your word. I ask God collectively that you would teach us. Collectively, we submit our, our minds and our hearts to you and we say that, um, that we love you, God. And God, I want what's best for your church. I desperately desire your will to be done in this church, God. That there's be a church that reflects Christ in San Francisco, that shows forth the glory and the beauty and the love and the grace and the mercy and the commitment of Jesus. God, may we be a people like that, God. You're making us into that people. I pray that we'd live into what you're making us. Would you help me this morning? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've seen a lot of new faces over the last several months here at Reality. And I've been um, been kind of, I've had this need, there's just been this deep need to speak to the church. That's you guys, to the church, about the church, um, about this local church. Now the church is not a building. Obviously we don't have a building. I'm not bitter about that. I'm just saying, um, we don't have a building here that we rent this place out. It kind of doesn't fit us uh, on an average Sunday. Um, uh, but we rent this building. And and so the, the, this, the church is not a building. It's people. You are the church. So what is, what does, what does God want to speak to the church, all of us about this church locally, this local expression of God's like universal church that spans as, uh, Pastor Tarek was, was praying all over the globe today as people are praying for this, this issue of, of injustice, as people are gathered uh, around all over the globe worshiping Christ today. And, and what you have to understand is what happens during a worship set or a, a worship time or, or, a, or a gathering or a service, if you've ever noticed this, um, when you come into service, you come into church, you, church doesn't start at a certain time. Okay, you realize this, church doesn't start at 11 o'clock or 11.05 or, or 9 or, or 5, our service times. We're actually, service is going on all the time in heaven. There's, there's um, multitudes around the throne of God, angels that are bowing before God, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, all the time. What we do on, on a Sunday morning is we come in and we kind of tap into that for, for a little bit. We kind of like plug into what's going on already in heaven. That's what we do when we gather, when we sing, when we hear from God's word, we kind of tap into what's going on universally and what's going on um, um, globally. Now, that global giant thing has to have a local expression, okay? That big giant thing called the church that people are a part of all over the world has to have this local expression. And this local expression is called Reality San Francisco, okay? Okay? So, local expression of God's uh, universal church. And I feel, I've kind of been compelled to teach on what the church is. Or I, I kind of want to give you a little insight. I, I want to apologize um, because we get a lot of questions about this church. People walk up to us every week with questions. And if you're new, it might seem like this church is a bit cryptic. It's like a big obscure. It's been one of our weaknesses since we, since we started as a church. Um, we have really good intentions at least I, I think they are. We have, when we first started this church, we wanted to make, make this church all about Jesus. And we don't want to just say that. We want to be, be a church that just says, hey, we're all about Christ, but other people's names are plastered everywhere. We wanted to make this church so much about Christ that even our names weren't even anywhere. So Tark and I had this thing like, we're not going to say our names on Sunday morning. We're just going to walk up and go, Hi. And like talk, tell people about Christ. That's why during worship, if you didn't know this, um, we, we, the house lights go down. Not only do the house lights go down, normally house lights do go down for worship, but then stage lights are on, right? And then like there's a camera on the soloist going, like doing solos and it's up on the screens and there's the words and everybody's, you know, like it's not even like that here. Like, not only do the house lights go off, but the stage lights go off, and you don't see anybody up here. And when we first started, I wasn't on the stage. I don't really even like being up here. I was down here, and Tark was like, you're on the floor, but no one can see you. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's kind of the point. He goes, but you're a communicator, and they need to see your face. They need to see your hands moving everywhere. They need to see your facial expressions. You need to get on the stage. I'm like, I don't want to go on the stage. You get on the stage. I'm like, I got on the stage. We, we wanted to, and we didn't, like I said, we didn't say our names, and then it got creepy. You're like, who are these men walking up, these guys, these people walking up going, hi, Jesus, and then we, like, disappear. <laughs> Super weird, and we realized, okay, we got to stop this. Okay, let's introduce ourselves, and, and, and let's be, we wanted to make this church so much about Christ that everything else faded in the background, everything, and we mean that in all sincerity, me. Every single person on staff, every single leader, every single song, everything faded in the background. The only thing that was lit up and apparent were the, the doctrine, the theology that we sing in song, communion, like the, the, the body and the blood of Christ response on carpets, like a, a time to respond on our knees and on our faces before God, and a prayer team that you can, you can have access to people that will love you and pray for you, be physically there for you. That's what we wanted to put on, 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 on center stage. That's what we wanted to put up front. Now, we understand, since we don't explain any of that, it's cryptic. It's weird. You're like, where's communion? Just get in line. And maybe at the end of the line, you know, the beginning of the line, there's, there's communion. Or how, how does this whole thing work? Who is this? And who? what's going on in the church? Like, that's never brought out. And the, our intentions, though, I know it's obscure and cryptic. Our intentions were, let's make it about Christ. He's the creator, the founder, the lover, the savior, and the chief shepherd, which means the senior pastor of the church. And we, the church, respond to him. All of us. Me, you, everyone. That's what we wanted the church to be. Today, I would like to clear some things up. I I want to talk a little bit about the church. Now, I told you this wouldn't be a popular teaching. And the reason why is because I have to share some things that I've been kind of stewing for a while that I know that God's been wanting me to share with the church and I just haven't yet and I and I need to this morning so I want to talk about the church capital c and I want to talk about this lo, local expression of the church lowercase c and what it means to be committed to the church and I want to use the word commitment some people want to get up and walk out maybe some people will some people did first service for sure but I want to talk about commitment but I, to do that, I want to start with this topic of circumcision, which is weird, I understand. But hear me out. It might seem a bit strange um, when, I, when, when, when we talk about circumcision and church commitment. It, it, like, it combines bloody Old Testament rituals with aggressive New Testament commitments, and so that's dynamite. That's pretty dangerous. But um, the reason why I want to start with circumcision is here. This is why. First, It's where we are at in our study of Genesis. We've been studying Genesis now for several months, and it's where our text is. I wanted, as you know, we haven't been going through every single verse, every single chapter. We're taking it thematically through Genesis. And in my mind, I'm like, it's a no-brainer. Circumcision is a theme we're skipping over. Like, nobody really wants to talk about that. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, we're going to skip over that. There's no big deal. When I outlined it a year ago, this sermon, I, I, I definitely skipped over the middle part of 17. But as we've been studying, God's like, no, this is a very important thing that I want the church to know about. I want this church to know about in particular. And the reason why I think God wants us to stop here and just look at this is circumcision here in Genesis chapter 17 is a sign that Abraham believed in the promises of God, that Abraham was identifying himself in God's covenantal community. A, this new community that God was created, if you, if you guys have been around for a while, you know that after the Tower of Babel, there's all this confusion, not only in language, but who God was, and God is calling out a people, Abraham, then Isaac, and Jacob, and then Israel, the people of Israel, God's calling a people out, and so what Abraham is doing at the very beginning of this, becoming the people of God, he's identifying himself and his family as being called out by God, that's what's happening, I think that's very important, so let me first explain circumcision, just so you are clear about it. In Genesis chapter 15, not 17, 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. Now this covenant was, um, was different than circumcision. This covenant, God's like, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Well, actually it was prompted by Abraham going, God, um, you've promised me uh, children. You've promised me to make, give me a nation and a people and a land, but I have none of that. And it's been years I've been following you and you promised that you would do these things. And you haven't done them yet. How will I, how do I really know? How can I know that you will do these things? What, what, what a surety can I have? I trust in you. I believe in you. I have faith in you. I followed you. I've left a lot of things to follow you. But, but God, could you show me, could you give me a sign that you're going to do these things? And then God said, yes. Get me a heifer, a female goat, and a ram. Like, what? That, what does that even mean? And w- for us, it's pretty weird. We don't live in that culture. But basically what God was saying was, and Abraham would have known this, assemble the legal counsel. I'm going to draft up a contract with you, the most binding contract that you've ever been a part of. It was called a covenant. Now covenant is a key word in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a huge word. God was saying, I'm going to bind myself to you, and I'm going to promise, because there's no one else higher than me, I'm going to promise on me, I'm going to swear to myself that I'll do these things. And so Abraham got these pieces of uh, I mean these animals he cut them in half he, he laid them in half and he walked it, what you were supposed to do is two parties were two parties you're supposed to walk in the middle of these two these animals that were cut in half and blood everywhere and I know it's pretty grotesque but it's and these and these two people were supposed to walk through it and what it was supposed to be a picture of is was this may it be may i be like these animals if i don't hold to my part of the covenant if i don't do everything that i say may i die may I be cut in half, may my blood be poured out everywhere. I promise to do that, and I promise on my life. That's what that's saying. Now, the interesting thing is right before the covenant was supposed to be made, Abraham had cut the pieces in half. Just when him and God were supposed to walk down these pieces, through these pieces of, of, you know, animals, God put Abraham asleep and went through it himself. This is what he was saying. I swear on myself. You are a participant of this. I will do this all on me. It's up to me to do this. I will do this. Okay? Then you get to 17, like we just read. And in chapter 17, what God does is says, okay, now, Abraham, do you believe me? Now, it's been 14 years since God has made this covenant with Abraham, and Abraham remained without any visible sign of its accomplishment. It's been 14 years. God said... Abraham, I promise, I will do that thing. I will bring you kids. I will do it. I will give you into a land. And still, nothing. Abraham shows up, God shows up to Abraham once again and says, Abraham, I'm going to remind you of the covenant I made with you. And then God calls Abraham to do something that takes a lot of commitment. And some say the greatest act of faith thus far for the life and the life of Abraham. He says, circumcise yourself, 99 years old, circumcise yourself and every male in your household. Now, what in the world was God thinking? Why did God do that? God was having Abraham become an active participant in the covenant. God was saying, Abraham, do you believe me? Do you trust me? Do you believe that I will do everything that I said I will do? Do you believe that, I, that, that the covenant that I made with you that day, do you believe it? Do you believe that I'm going to do everything? If so, if you believe, Abraham, this is the sign That you are a member in my covenant family. This is the sign, verse eleven. If you look, if you remember from our text, this is the sign that you believe in my promise, and you are an active participant in the covenant that I made with you. This sign will be for you, and this new people that I am making through your seed—they will be known later on as Israel or the Jewish people. This will be a sign that you are my people. That you and generations after you believe in in the promises that I made with you. This is what you're supposed to wear. This is the sign that you are in. That you believe that what I will do. One commentator puts it this way. God, this is a guy named Gerhard Van Rod, coolest name ever. God establishes the covenant, verse 7. See, God establishes it. It's on him. Man keeps it. God establishes it. Man keeps it. Here... Therefore, an attitude, because of this, an attitude is demanded of Abraham towards God's act. An attitude which he has to make explicit by circumcising every male of his house. This is what Benrod is saying. There is a committed response, an attitude that is demanded by God from the people of God. Let me see this again. I think this is important. There is an attitude. There is a response that is demanded by God for the people of God. Ways to show that we believe. Ways to follow. Ways to, and I'm going to, to use language that you might understand. God wants to define the relationship. I know that's scary for some people. You're like, oh my gosh, don't mess this up, Dave. Like, we had a good thing going. I'm, I'm showing up to church, and I... You know, I'm like getting what I like from this church. Don't define this. Okay, if you've ever been in this situation, God is notorious for defining the relationship. Notorious. He, he's always doing this over and over again. He's like, Abraham, Do you know what we have here? You trust me? Okay, well, I'm going to define this thing over and over and over again. God does that. He does it with circumcision here. He had Israel put blood on their doorposts of their homes as a sign of participation in what God was doing in in the Exodus. God commanded Sabbath rest on, on Saturday for the people who believed in the law of God, who received the law of God on Mount Sinai. God over and over again goes, let's define what this is. You are my people. I am your God. You see how God does that? I am your God. You are my people. Let's define what this is. We were like, yeah, he's God, and I like him, and he's cool, and I'm like, I'm a part of that, you know. And sometimes God's like, no, let's define this thing. If if you're my people, you are my people. In the Old Testament, it looked like this: circumcision. You are my people. You you hold by the the way that I've called you to live. You 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 guys live under the law. This is what this means. I know this is like. There's something in us that kind of recoils at this, because we're part of a, a New Testament church that's like it's all grace, it's all grace, and you're completely right. But God always is defining the relationship. God is always okay. You're in. You're in. You're in me, right? You're a Christian, right? Okay. You're. You are a Christian, and I want you to be baptized. Whoa, whoa! I want you to be part. You're. You're saved, and you're part of a church now. And you're part of a community of people where you have to love people. You're gonna love people that you don't like. Like, What does that even mean? I don't know, we have to figure that out. You're gonna be part of a community of people. You're not gonna be this isolated person saying I'm a Christian and I belong to the church but I don't belong to anyone or anything individually. I don't belong to anything, co- I, don't, I don't belong to a church locally. I don't belong to a community. I just show up and I consume some like sort of service like a service is happening i show up to church and it's like songs I'm like yay and then teaching i sometimes i'm yay sometimes i'm not so yay and then song afterwards and then free coffee and cookies and it's a, you know it's a great day and then i go all about my day that is how i consume god that's not what god that's not that's not who god is god is he defines things he says, you're my people. I'm your God. This is the sign. This is the seal that shows that we are the people of God. So what does this have to do with the church? You might get nervous. You're like, oh my gosh, circumcision of the church. What is he going to say next? Okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm not saying that to be part of a church means you have to be circumcised. I don't know if, you've, if you know this, but the whole book of Galatians is written against this very thing. Um, there are people and the Apostle Paul, who was an evangelist in the, early, um, in the early church, you can read a story in the book of Acts, and the Apostle Paul would go around, he was a gifted evangelist, and he would preach the gospel to people, and people would be saved, and there was these people that came behind him called the Judaizers, who, would, who were Jewish, and, and, and they, would, they would follow wherever Paul went, and they'd go to the church that was, that was, that was brought out of, out of, Gentile church that was brought out of darkness into the light, and they would go, hey church, come around. Okay, so you guys are now Christians, right? You know that Jesus was Jewish. Okay, you guys know that. Okay, you know this is like a Jewish thing. Okay, you guys got that. Okay, good. You guys have to be circumcised, and they were like, "What?" Like, "Yep, that's what it means." And they would circum. Okay, I know it's weird. Okay, but Paul heard this and was, if you read the book of Galatians, he was angry. He was mad. He said, "Well, you can read it." He said some crazy things. Okay, but Paul says, "No, you're not under that yoke of bondage anymore. You're free in Christ. You're free." We're going to talk about what that means in a second. So what I'm not saying is that circumcision is brought into the church. Actually, there was a whole council in Jerusalem that met in Acts chapter 15 that decided that Gentiles being brought in the church were not to be circumcised. But what am I saying then? And this is what I'm saying. The people of God have always been called to a covenantal commitment. The people of God have always been called to a covenantal commitment. Throughout the Old Testament and leading into the New, God makes various covenant relationships with his people. He intentionally enters into a commitment-based, formalized relationship with Noah, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Moses, with David. God does this nationally with Israel through the law and then ultimately the New Testament covenant through Jesus. God loves covenants. God is notorious at defining the relationship. He loves formalizing things and making the relationship official. He's like, you know what? We have this thing here, like, I'm your God, you're my people, let's make it official. God is into doing that. He's done it from the beginning of the Bible until the New Testament. He is, he's always going covenant, covenant. And the reason why is this. If you're wondering, why does God um, bring up these covenants? Why does God bring us into a covenantal relationship? This is why. It's in the context of covenant, a committed official relationship, that God restores our intimacy with him and makes himself fully known to us. It's inside of this, this covenant that God actually expresses himself intimately with us, that he is, he's made known to us. It's only, you, you guys have to hear this, this is very important. It's only in the context of covenant that God is intimate with his people. This is, very, um, this is very important because this is why biblically the intimacy of sex is saved for the covenant of marriage. If you're here today and you're like, why does the church always teach that whole no sex outside of marriage thing that's so archaic? Like, who does that? God does that. He actually does that with us. He doesn't express himself intimately with us until we're in covenant with him. This is why God says that we are to do the same thing. We take our cue from God. God doesn't give himself intimately to anyone outside of covenant. God says, let's define what this is. I'm going to make a covenant with Noah. I'm going to make a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, anyone who... In the New Testament, at the, at the Last Supper, Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and what does he do? Covenant. Hey, guys, it's a new covenant in my blood. God doesn't express himself intimately outside of covenants. God brings us into this covenant. He brings us into this life. And, and, I, and the thing that I want to share with you that, that I, I feel um, um, that's hard to say as a as a as a pastor it's it's i need to say it but as someone who who really um who really cares for people who hear from jesus every week it's hard to say so but i, I i'll say it like this some of you are in a consumer relationship with god you might be in a very consumer relationship with god's people this church specifically and you might be in an intimate consumer relationship with your dating partner. Throughout history, there's always been consumer relationships. There's always been this sort of like, I'm in relationship with you by what I can get. That's how free trade works. A consumer relationship lasts only as long as the vendor meets your needs at a cost acceptable to you. Someone, who, someone else delivers better service at a better price or a better cost, you move your business there. You have no obligation to stay in that consumer relationship. Like, this is how my wife grocery shops. She goes and tries to find, my wife loves sales, loves the best deal. Just like cuts coupons and like figures out the best way to use them and all this stuff. And she'll go to this grocery store like, well, this grocery store is better. She has no obligation to go to that store even though they charge more. It's a consumer relationship. Now, this is the way my wife grocery shops, but this is the way San Francisco dates. And if you've ever been in the dating scene in the city, this is exactly how people date. It's completely consumer driven. And let me define these two things. In a consumer relationship, the individual's needs are the most important aspect in the relationship. So it's all about my needs. Are my needs being met? So we we transfer this over to a a dating relationship. Are my needs being met? No, I'm out. To a church, are my needs being met? Okay, all of a sudden, this community's hard, and it's not the way that I thought it would be. I'm out, and we leave. No problem at all. Boom, gone. Out. We do this even in marriage, my needs are not being met anymore. Guess what? Covenant broken. I'm out of here. In a, coven, in a covenantal relationship, the good of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of the individual. The good of the relationship. Like this relationship that we have is more important than my individual needs. This relationship of marriage. This relationship of, of me following God. It's, it's more important than my little individual needs because my needs can change. Even, guys, even... I know this is crazy for some people. Even in God's church, the needs of the relationship of being in a symbiotic, loving relationship with the church is sometimes more important than our individual things. I know this is really hard to imagine because we're so, we tend to be a bit individualistic and we think any binding relationship, any relationship that I enter into that says I'm here no matter what is some form of, exploitation if we're not happy and our needs are not being met we leave even in marriage if this was the case abraham should have left god a long time ago right it's been 25 years god 25 years ago you said you give me kids and a land i don't have kids and i don't have a land guess what i'm gone couldn't have abraham done have done that like god i've been walking with you for like 12 years now, 15 years 20 years and all the things that you said to me 20 years ago have not come to pass I'm out of here if this was based on consumer on consumerism he could have left a long time ago actually if it was based on consumerism God could have gave up on humanity in Genesis chapter 3 right what does covenant mean though covenant means I'm here I'm here I'm staying, I'm fighting, I'm sticking it out for the good of the relationship. And that's why it could be said of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has you see that? He's looking forward to oh, it was on the sc- is it on the screen? No? I thought it was on the screen the whole time. Hebrews chapter? no. OK. Hebrews chapter 11. He was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is what this means. Abraham lived his life not grabbing hold of every single promise that God promised him, but he, st- he believed in God. And he had faith in God. And he said he, he looked forward to it, whose city and whose, whose architect and builder was God himself. What that means is this. This was not some sort of consumer relationship that he had with God. It wasn't like, God, you didn't give me the land you said, and I'm out. Or the kids. He kept looking forward, going, my hope is in God. And God will resolve this some way or another because I have faith in him. It's important to keep in mind that God asked for this commitment. God knows how important this is to, to live in a vibrant relationship with him. So he asked for this commitment. It's not that Abraham was so moved by God's word that he decided to circumcise himself at 99 years old. He's like, God, I love you so much. How do I prove that I, I got an idea. I know how I'll prove that I love you. That is not what's happening here. God asked for commitment, permanent commitment. And I know that idea of permanent commitment freaks you out. I mean, we live in a, a fairly non-committal culture. This last week, the best thing on the internet was this, someone tweeted this Facebook thread of a girl who got a tattoo on her arm from a, of a guy she just started dating. A tattoo of his face on her arm. One of the funny, I don't know if it was real or not, but it was one of the funniest things uh, this last week. And she gives, it's just this th- a whole thread, and it was like, um... It's a picture of her arm with his face tattooed on it, okay? And then, uh, and then she was like, oh, my gosh, I wanted to show you in person, but I won't be able to see you. But surprise, and all her friends are like, oh, my gosh, you're so devoted. You're so committed to him. You're, and you're waiting for, like, what is the boyfriend going to say? All of a sudden, he chimes in. He's like, he says this, um, <laughs> you got my face tattooed on your arm? What, are you insane? You said you... <laughs> You said you wanted a wing tortuous. I offered to pay for that, not my face. It's like, I paid for your tattoo because you said you were going to get this. I drew this thing for you, and you were going to get that, not my face. And then she commented back, I was thinking that this is the way I was going to show you that I love you, that you don't like this. And he was like, you thought that getting a grape-sized tattoo of my face from a guy that you dated for a week you don't think that's a little over the top and then a gone, to, you know, they broke up on Facebook, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's insane, okay? Everybody knows that's insane. You're like, okay, hey, girl, you've been dating a week, you don't get his faith. I don't know if it was real or not, but, but, but commitment's insane as well. Like, committing yourself, some of you guys in here going, committing myself to one person for the rest of my life is absolutely insane. Some of you guys, you know exactly how that feels. Or even saying this, committing myself to one God for the rest of my life is insane. Commitment to us sounds a bit insane. Commitment to God, commitment in marriage, commitment to a church community. To many of us, it's a very foreign concept. So what am I trying to say here? Let me try to land this plane. The church, the church universally Globally and this church locally needs your commitment to Jesus' church. And I say that unapologetically. This means, what this works out, how this works out practically is like this. Baptism. Baptism is, is the New Testament sign. Old Testament sign was circumcision. New Testament sign is baptism. It's a sign that, yes, God, I believe in you. I believe that I was once alive to myself in the flesh, but actually Dead. And then I died to myself, and then I was buried with you, and I rose again with you, and I'm pure, I'm washed. That's what baptism is a picture of. It's actually saying, I identify with Jesus. I identify in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I am a Christian. If you've not been baptized, be baptized. If you've placed your faith in Christ, be baptized. So that's one way. That's one way. That, and when you're baptized, you're, you, you're baptized not just into the church, Universally, you're also obviously baptized into a church locally because the local, the locally is an expression of God's church. It has to, it has to have a local context. And this is, this is one of them. Next one is communion. Take communion regularly. As we finish every single Sunday, when the teaching is done, we spend the most important time afterwards. Don't leave. If you're part of this church, do as much as you can to stay Take communion. Receive communion. Re- go forward and, and repent and turn from the, 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 the selfishness, the, the idolatry, the, the, the ways that your, your, your own life is just front and center in your life and, and it has not been Christ. Do that every single week. If you need you, I want to invite you to the carpets. Get on the carpets and kneel before God and go, God, make me, transform me into your image. I, I, if the people that I'm not loving, help me love. If the people that I'm, I'm not forgiving, God, I, I, I want to forgive them in my heart before I ever confront them. Like, Do this sort of soul work. I'm not the only one that has to work on Sunday. You have to work as well. You should be working. God, what things do I need to get rid of? What things do I need to bring in? What kind of truths do I need to claim? And what kind of lies do I need to reject? Every single week, we should be doing that as a community together. And then, when we just feel like, I I just feel so condemned, come forward and receive communion knowing that Christ was condemned on your behalf. That he died in your place. That he was condemned for your sin and my sin. The next thing is love. Guys, we have to love each other. I know that's like a thing that everyone is like, duh. Of course we love each other. We really have to love each other. And sometimes that means looking to someone and smiling at them and saying, hi, how are you? What's your name? It might be simple as that. Like loving each other. Like having the spirit of love. Like when you walk in here, I We genuinely love one another. We love our neighbors, the people that are immediately around us. We need to love each other. Um, In Galatians, Paul says that circumcision doesn't mean anything in the New Testament church. He says the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. Hey, there's no circumcision. Uncircumcised, circumcised, who cares? The only thing that matters in in the New Testament church is faith that works itself out in love. And lastly, service. And this is the part that might sting a little bit and it's really hard for me to say, but I have to say it. If you came here at this church from another church and you are simply here consuming, meaning you're here and you are not serving or not and, or, or not giving or not praying for this church, its people, its leaders or not involved in a community group, You're not a member or a participator in this church. You're you're a consumer. I want to ask you in all love to leave and to go back to your old church and serve there and give there and pray for the leaders there and become actively involved in that church. We need your seat. There's people standing in the back. So if you're here from somewhere else and you're like, I just kind of, I'm here, I was there, now I'm here, I'm just kind of like just here, just kind of consuming, doing my thing, showing up and leaving. Could you go back to your other church and then go pray for that church and give your money and your time to that church and go and pray for the pastors and serve, greet there, go serve there. We, we, we need your, we, there are people that I know that are being brought in here by the spirit of God and by people that need to hear the gospel of Christ and, and your, your consumers, Christian consumers just walk in and go, this is like the new thing, Right? I just want to absorb it. I, we, that's not the church. I wish we had a building big enough that all the consumers in all of San Francisco that wants to come check it out can do that. We just don't have the room anymore. So, and, and this pains me. I'm, I, I, I'm kind of over it now, but I kind of almost cried first service. This really hurts me to say this, but I have to say it. We need your spot. Now, after first service, I had a lot of people say, well, this is my church. I love this place. But I, I, because of some sort of my travel, my, I'm, I'm a college student. I can't. I'm a college student. I can't give. Or I travel. I can't be in a community group. Like, I said, or not and. Find a way to be in a relationship with this church where you are giving and receiving. It's symbiotic. It's like I am praying for the leaders. If you just got on your face every morning or night or whenever and prayed for this church, its mission in the city and the leaders here. Every single day, you are an active participant in the church. You're a member of this church. You're not just a consumer, you're a member, you're giving back. If you're involved in community, which we, you should be, you should be involved in a community. You should go to a community group and be involved in the life there and, and give your life and, and be a part there and pray for people and get to know them and, and, and look for ways to serve. As a group going, how do, we, how do we do our part as Christians in abolishing slavery? How do we do our part in San Francisco? To, and, and how do you do that locally? We all have to be thinking that way. I want to read this quote by Charles Spurgeon because I think this, this kind of get, shows the point that we're all in this together. He says, if, I, if I'm a, 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 synod, a synodal, um, uh set to guard the army at a certain point, uh, I know that every post in the whole, the whole line of soldiers is important, but I am not to dream that it's mine if not so. If so, I may be inclined to sleep And my foe may surprise the camp at the point which I ought to have guarded. I I am to feel as if the whole safety of the entire camp depended upon me. At least I ought to be as zealous and as watchful as if it were so. You see, if the links of that chain, each one of them has a certain strain point. Suppose that one of them said, I may rush through. It does not matter for there are many other links on, on the chain that are strong. No, my friend, the chain depends on each link. And so, for the completeness of the church to work, and for the perfect edification of the body of Christ, a great weight of responsibility lies upon you. We are First um, Corinthians chapter twelve says you are the body of Christ. Not everyone here in here is a mouthpiece, but everyone is a member. So you not might not be. What what are you doing in this church? If you're if you're if you're called here, what are you doing in this church? to bring about the body of Christ. Some of you guys are hands, feet, arm, leg, knees, like whatever. We're a part of God's, of Christ's body. Now, though we are a culture made up of consumers, and I'm a, I'm a huge part of that, I genuinely believe that we have a desire to partic- participate. We want to participate. We want to be, that's why there, even on, on things that we consume, like there are like buttons and comment threads and retweets, because we want, we like, we read something like, I like that like like, do you go through life want to double-click everything? Like, I like that. I like that too. I like, we, want to, we want to participate in the things that we see, the things that we consume. We love to do that. And I want to ask you this morning to do something that I know that deep down you want to do. And it could just start by praying. Like, we believe in the power. It might just be you seriously, earnestly praying for this church, praying for, for unity in the body of Christ, praying for love to abound here. Praying for souls to meet their maker, Jesus Christ. Praying. Praying for the leaders and the vision. The reason why I've asked you to be committed to this church is because Christ is committed to this church. Christ is the one, Jesus is the one who loves the church. Jesus is the one who builds the church. Jesus is the one who leads the church. Jesus is the one who died for the church. So to close, to wrap this up, to kind of bring this back to that weird topic of circumcision. Circumcision in the Old Testament was a bloodshedding rite of only a partial cutting off that spared the recipient of being cut off entirely from the community of faith. I know that's weird, but what it was is this: part, it was a blood—it was a bloodshedding rite of going. We're going to be partially cut off; that we're not completely cut. There's a play on words there in in, in, in uh, Genesis 17. Did you did you pick up on that? There was a play on words. I know it's a little. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird one and a gross one. It's like, be circumcised or be cut off. That's a play on words. He's like, you can be partially cut off or completely cut off. The way that we're partially cut off, by partially cutting off, we're spared being cut off entirely. Now, all of this, what this, what this meant was all of this anticipates something bigger. All of this was anticipation of the one who would be entirely cut off from his people. Colossians chapter 3 says that Jesus Christ is our circumcision. He was the one who was entirely cut off from God, entirely cut off from humanity, from people, from everything, completely separated that we can be brought in. He was the one that was completely cut off for our salvation, completely cut off for our justification. He was the one who took our payment, who took our penalty, who took our judgment that we can be brought in that now our our hearts are circumcised, the flesh of our hearts are circumcised, that we can be brought into the life of God. And so we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the lover of the church, the one who washes the church and makes it all it should be. We want this church to be centered around Christ. And so what I would like us to do together as a church is to reflect and repent, to turn to Christ and go, God, is there any way Is there any way in me that I'm just I I need to I need to really be a part? This is if this is my church, this is where I I I participate in 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 the covenant community. How do I make this, Lord? How do I make this about what you're doing, not about me? Myself and Pastor Tarek will be up here afterwards if you have any way that you want to flesh this out, or if you want to say you're leaving. We had people walk up, hey, I I think I'm leaving now. Like, God bless you. Love you, thank you. Or if you want to say, I'm staying but I I want to be a part so how can I be involved? What does that look like for me? We would love to help you. Your community group leaders would love to help you with that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your church and I know, God, that you are doing a great and wonderful work in this city in so many churches in this city. And I pray, God, that the, the, maybe the rawness or the 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 honesty of today would would be taken with like with grace, with not just for the we're not we're not talking about like what's best for this church, but the church, your church. And Lord, we pray that you would move us out, move me out of apathy, God, move me out of complacency, God, move me from this sort of consumer. What's this, what's in it for me? work on me God I know I've been so moved and convicted myself would you do that with this church would you do that with us God and may we see at the end of this Christ who died for the church who's washing the church who as it says in Ephesians 5 loved the church and gave yourself for this church thank you Lord would you minister to us now in Jesus name